disaster. I'm not even going to bother doing it. If that ever happens again, again. We, we might have to replace you. <laughs> we might have to replace me. <laughs> well, it can't be me because I don't contribute much. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to do a quick little introduction like I always do, and then we'll get going here, guys. Okay? Okay. So I just quickly say hi there. Happy Wednesday. It is February the 19th, 2020, and I'm Eric, talking at you as always from beautiful downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where I'm going to start a class action lawsuit against every coffee house outside of Quebec because they don't serve English vanilla. <laughs> Genius. How you doing, Gordon? <laughs> Good, Eric. How you doing, my friend? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Very big show. We're very pleased to welcome Roger Nygaard to the show. Hey, guys. Can you hear hey. me? Am I here? Am I on? You're here. We You're got on. You. you sound great. I'm just <laughs> make sure all my levels are good here. I believe we are recording just fine. Cool. I'm sorry for the delay. I'm kind of a Skype uh, idiot, so... I uh, I apologize for the rocky start. The word Skype dropped out, and all I heard was, I'm just an idiot. Oh, of course <laughs> it did. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> we got um, the important you, point. <laughs> you fit in re real well with us. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to skip all the usual nonsense and just get right to it. Um, so the Truth About Marriage came out Friday. How's it doing? Uh, it's good. I think the truth is spreading. So I, I understand you guys are relationship experts. So I'm in good hands. Oh, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm twice divorced, so I know tons of stuff about marriage. And, and I'm once divorced. Once, so. Um, what is the truth about marriage? <laughs> it's difficult. Apparently, no one can seem to hold it together. Or fifty percent don't. Here, I mean, if, if, if you want to know why this all started, I'll tell you. I am a failure at relationships, or I felt I was, and it seemed to me like if somebody was selling me a product one day, and, and, they, and they are, our society is selling us a product, and if a salesman said to you, I've got this great product, you're going to love it, everybody has it, everyone loves it, you got to have it, and you said, well, great, it sounds awesome, I want it, is there any guarantee if I told you, no, no guarantee, and half of them fail, and the other half that don't fail are a lot of hard work to keep going, you would tell me to go back to the drawing board on this alleged product, and that's what we have with a marriage. Everyone thinks it's going to be easy, and it's not. They, they, it's just going to take care of itself. But when I interviewed all these experts, I've tracked down the top relationship psychologists and asked them all why this is so darn hard. And John Gottman, who's one of them, told me that a relationship naturally disintegrates over time if you don't put conscious effort into it. And people don't, no one teaches you that in school. No one tells you, there's no class in high school on how to have a, a happy, easy relationship. No, and so 50% fall apart naturally, and the other 50% were working, they're working hard at it to try to, to hold it together. In your experience or in the um, making of this film, did you find that most people think they're going to be the exception of the rule? Yeah, everybody does. They all think, oh, no, we got, we're going to be different. <laughs> it's going to be different with us. 
And then when it's not, it's it's a big shock. So during your site, did you happen to find out why it is that? Because, I mean, uh, with my ex, I know we were together for like 11 years before we decided to actually tie the knot. And why is it that there's an aspect that seems to change from cohabitating, living together, being in a relationship, then all of a sudden you put that ring on the finger? Why is it that there seems to be a change between the two? Yeah, well, it's psychological. There's, it, it's like someone just slammed the door on the cage, and before you're, you're the way you perceive the world is a little bit different, and your freedom, the what you once called freedom, has now changed into it's freedom based upon approval by your spouse, and you may not think of it that way when those 11 years when you're you're just kind of hanging out together and you're you're essentially in a relationship marriage is is really no different it's just a relationship but now there's a a legal contract that you've both signed and all that contract says is how you're going to split your resources split your your property and the, 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 there's no legal guarantee that you have to be nice to each other or be a good listener or be loving or faithful, those are all these assumptions, these add-ons that people put into it. Now suddenly you've got all these assumptions that your partner and you are making about each other, and it's really frustrating when we come up short, because we all do naturally on some of them, because we're asked to behave in ways that are out of sync with what's natural for us as a human being. That's pretty much bang on, yeah. That seems about almost bang on right. That's all <laughs> for you, though. Well, yeah, because it was, you know, like uh, even talk with um, with um, the girl I'm dating now, you know, and that's one of the things. It's always like, you know, things can be always perfect when you're in that relationship. Then as soon as you get married, all of a sudden that preconception of what it's supposed to mean to be married and why it's supposed to be different, everything sort of changes. I've never bought into that because I don't see what the difference is. You just do what you're doing. You know, you stay monogamous if that's what the relationship calls for. You treat each other with respect and you just, you know, live your day and try to be happy and try to do what you can to promote each other, if you will. And I don't see why that always changes, but it seems to be really common that that's exactly what happens. Human well, nature. It sounds so easy. Well, when it comes down to it, it really, it's it's not that difficult, really, in its essence, but... It's just, again, you, when you put things on this pedestal, like, you know, like, yeah, you're married, so all of a sudden there's this whole new set of commitment you have to deal with. Well, what's the point of being in a relationship? Like, are you in a relationship before you got married so you could keep screwing around behind the person's back? No. So then what difference does it make when you're married? It's just a document for the government to stick their nose in your business. <laughs> is it is it just a document, Roger, do you think? Or is it... Uh, well, is the origin of the document... The idea of the document, when I made this documentary, The Truth About Marriage, I talked to uh, historians, and one of the historians wrote a book called The Origins of Sex, and he was searching for why we behave the way we behave now, and marriage is a part of that. Part of the reason that this idea for marriage and the document that comes along with it that, that details how we share property is because... If 50% or a large percentage of the couples are going to split up, that means they're going to leave a mess behind. And who's going to be responsible for cleaning up that mess? 
so society decided, well, we don't want to have to clean up everyone's mess, so let's put a framework in place in advance so we can at least know that uh, how to clean th- that these things will be handled when they break up. And that's really the point of it is just to handle all the breakups. Yeah. Well, I I definitely become an expert in that department. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I have a friend that was dead against marriage simply because his outlook was all marriage is is you having to ask the government permission to leave somebody if things don't go right. That's basically it. Yeah, because the government doesn't want to have to pay for everybody's mistake. That's a such a. I mean, for me, that's that that just kills everything about it. Just to hear <laughs> that, but. Uh, it's a little bit mercenary, it's, isn't it? Yeah. But it's so true because, like, I mean, like, literally, like, it's not like, you know, a breakup. You just, you break up, you give back, you keep whatever you want to keep, whatever it is, and you move on. But in a marriage, you literally have to go to two different lawyers. you got to apply, hope that somebody doesn't say, nah, you guys should stay together, um, and just sort of move on from there. It's, it's such a strange concept. It's because of children, though. You know, when there's children in the mix, that makes it far much more complex. If there's no children, obviously, it's easier to split things up. Yeah, which mine was. Thank God for that. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> really, I've luckily God. not had children in the mix yet. Um, I do have a child outside of marriage, but uh, uh, hopefully, she doesn't plan on getting married anytime soon. <laughs> not soon, anyway. <laughs> She's a little young for that. <laughs> what do you, where do you think the younger generation, the millennials, are on marriage? Are they still? Is it still a cool thing to do, or is it kind of uh, antiquated? Do you think? I think it, they feel it's antiquated, but everything goes through cycles, and then it, what was old becomes new again, and so that people forget. It's sort of like one reason we have big wars is so people can forget. You know, don't forget that how how horrible it is to be in a war. But if enough time goes by, people go, oh, let's start another war because they don't know how horrible it is. And it's kind of the same. It's with marriage, right? If if people forget how difficult it can be. One of the experts I interviewed, his name is John Friel. He said that when couples come to him for help, it's usually like somebody going to a doctor six years after they've broken their leg and saying, can you fix my leg? They've waited so long. You know, you've got to go in early. It, ideally, you got you should go in. And what they actually recommend is that couples do premarital counseling before they get married. The way you, you can have a happier marriage and have a better chance at longevity in your relationship is... If you talk about the ground rules before you get married, most people don't. And so they go in with all these assumptions, and those assumptions are going to be frustrated if you don't talk about it. And one of the, some of the data they use to support this theory is that people who are religious who get married tend to do better than non-religious. And that's not because of the religion. It's because the religion forces them to have premarital counseling beforehand. And that's the key is, is knowing what you're getting into. Interesting. That makes sense. Hmm. So, I listened to a doc, uh, a podcast earlier where you said you love documentaries. What what was it that uh, drew you to documentaries? Because I'm a it's big kind fan of like, myself, but I'm not exactly sure why. I just don't particularly care for fiction. 
Yeah, well, it's there's two ways I look at it. One is like I it's an addiction that I when I made my first documentary, I didn't think it would I just thought I'll make a documentary and see what happens, but it's like saying I'll just try heroin once. What's the big deal? And <laughs> yeah, of course. You get hooked. And the thing about good documentaries and good fiction to me are the ones that are grounded in reality. These are real stories about real people. The the most gripping story is a story that's real. It feels real and grounded. I have I have trouble. I'm kind of done with superhero movies for that reason. Uh, it's it's harder anyway to get my attention because they're you, you can't watch a superhero movie and go, oh that could have happened. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm done happen. with superhero movies for more reasons than that. I I just wish we could uh, make one about someone new. Like, I don't know why we need a new Batman and a new Spider-Man every two years. I think we've covered the bases on those. Kind of, kind of, you know the story. You've been there. It's been done. Exactly. But I think that's why documentaries are great, because they're real stories about real people. And it feels, the jeopardy and the drama is more, more grounded, more real. Oh, definitely. I heard you say uh, that um, Trekkies was not a good documentary. It's flawed. And, it's a seriously flawed documentary, flawed because it was document. my first and so, I didn't really know what I was doing, and so all the mistakes I made are kind of baked into the pattern now for fan documentaries. I mean, we solved we we, we solved the problems I think by the time we finished, because a, a a classically good documentary has one protagonist or or a small group of people that you root for and you follow them, and and you, there's an, a built-in ending of some kind where they solve their problem just like a good narrative story has. Sure. But Trekkies doesn't have that. And no. so we what it has is short stories, like like there it's a collection of short stories. And they're really fun and funny and colorful. And that's what saves us, I think, is how entertaining these people are. They're so interesting to watch. You know, I was for some reason I was going over in my mind how, how much I enjoyed it when it came out and in my mind, it was like 10 years ago. I can't believe it was 1997. <laughs> we shot it in 97, yeah. It was released by Paramount in 99, so that at least gives you two years, but that's still a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> did you ever consider doing a sequel? or Just because there's been well, there so much Star Trek since then? We are, Yeah, we did a number two, but we have been talking about doing a, a three to sort of fill up, finish the trilogy. Denise Crosby and I have been, been kind of brainstorming on that. And yeah. I have some ideas, so yeah, don't be surprised if we do come up with a, 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 a final tent pole in the trilogy. It's come There's full so circle. They're on to Picard now, right? Yes. Yeah. It's that endless. So much to go with it, too. It's insane. I mean, you've got like what, like at least a dozen shows of them that's on now. It's. I mean, the the Trekkie thing is because you have fans that are, you know, fans of the original series. Uh, not necessarily fans of some of the newer series, and you got fans. That, I mean, because they're all over the map. It's they don't always all agree with each other, which is hilarious to me. But I didn't well, get part into of the it fun. until uh, Enterprise, the uh, the series Enterprise with Scott Bakula. I actually really that's enjoyed an interesting that one. place to to start. <laughs> it's kind of the nadir of the series is with Enterprise. I enjoyed it. I know a lot of so uh, original series. Uh, fans didn't like it. I think I I lucked out in that I'm not a big enough fan to not like the new stuff. Do you think? Uh, yeah. Would Would uh, Gene Roddenberry be happy with the way it's gone? Do you think? Well, 
I don't know how happy he would be, but I think that he would have some issues with that the way that the new universe, the new Star Trek universe has been envisioned is very different from the Roddenberry universe. If you look at the original series and the next generation, the it's it's a it's it's a universe where man is the center or or human beings and aliens and they um they have to rely on themselves. They're the ones in charge of their own destiny. They're going forth boldly and uh, on courageous missions, what have you. In the new series, once it was rebooted, the first or most recently, what was it, around 2010, the J.J. Abrams reboot, that universe, if you ask, they ask the writers about this, there are a lot of things that happen just randomly, like they land on a planet and Spock just happens to be in a cave where they land on an ice planet and he's got a fire going. Where did he get wood? And and how did they happen to land on an entire planet and just land right next to where he is? A lot of coincidence happens. And the writers answer that by saying that it was fate. Fate put them there. And that, to me, seemed like kind of a weak way to write, to base your writing on fate. But also, fate requires an entity behind it. And it makes it more of a God-centered universe, where Gene Roddenberry was a humanist and an atheist, and he, uh, Kirk was constantly going down on to planets and unveiling fake gods and telling you know it's a computer, it's not a god, it's yeah, <laughs> and, and putting putting humans back in charge again. So his universe was more of a humanist humanistic universe, and the current approach is more they're just it's an action pic- picture action picture with uh, more of a spiritual universe and I, I think he would have something to say about that right or wrong I my big question right now and I don't know maybe Gord you can help me with this too because you know a little more than I do um, with the <laughs> gender conversation that's going on now and the uh, gender neutral or gender neutrality I guess I should say where would that fit uh, are they gonna work that into the Star Trek universe or they've been pretty... well, you could say they have already because there are, there are aliens that are asexual or gender uh, uncertain. Sure? <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess that's absolutely true because there's uh, yeah, there actually are a couple that have you can't tell one the male from the female, if you will, or even if there is a male or female. But, yeah. but Kirk still yeah, sleeps guess... with them. Well, of course, Kirk. Curse yeah, the original curse. series is a very strong masculine-feminine dynamic. Yeah, very strong. They definitely sort of... But do you think that... I wouldn't even say that that was necessarily even a conscious decision that they were necessarily doing as much as it just... When you're looking at different species across the entire universe, some of them are bound to be very drastically different than just having a male in it. I'll say I think that was a really good natural thing for that show to do. It's logical. If you look at different animals or different species on our planet, you're going to find some clone each other, some switch genders. There's a, all, all manner of, of uh, untoward things going on. But also the good writing on Star Trek, if you look at particularly the original series, but, but current writing also, it'll tend to reflect whatever's going on socially at the time. Even though this story's set in the future in space, it's about what's happening right now to us socially. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. 
So, but uh, what's I, I like what these you don't dwell on the fact though. That's one thing I really enjoy about it. They might have those characters in there, but they don't. You know, they don't have somebody walk up by going, "Hey, look, a gender-neutral alien, awesome." <laughs> Are we on the right track? Do you think? Um... Politically, socially, to to get to where they are one day, like we're well. Uh, first, the, we have to survive, and that's questionable. If we're gonna, how many more years we're going to make it as a species? That's very true. Um, with with Trump <laughs> planning on uh, going to the moon in twenty twenty four, do you think that's that's just part of that? That's part of uh, surviving. Is it maybe planning ahead for when we ruin this planet? Well, the, the the moon's not a very hospitable place. We'd do better to fix up this environment than to try to make make it rain on the moon. Oh, I so. fully agree. I just I like the moon <laughs> for a, uh, a a starting point for uh, like um, space mining. Um, there's a lot of uh, resource extraction they can do out there. That's uh, that's what I've been reading about. That seems really cool. Um, just uh, launching just from the moon, taking, uh, trying to figure out. I guess they found water. They're saying, and they want to figure out how to make fuel on the moon, so they don't have to carry so much with them. That's the key, right? To find it there. I've just always wondered if we ended up habit, uh, habitizing the moon. If you dropped your pants on the moon, is it still considered a moon, or do you have to call it an Earth? Yeah. <laughs> I, I see what you did. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> Uh, so do you still I, go to uh, conventions at all? Do you follow the the Star Trek fan base anymore? Uh, or you kind of moved less, on from that? Less occasionally. I mean, since I've it, depending what kind of documentary I'm currently making, since I spent the last seven years working on this marriage question and the truth about marriage, and so I spent more time immersed in that world than I did in the Star Trek world. And before that. I worked on a documentary about called The Nature of Existence, which is about belief systems and existentialism. And so I went to the source of all the major religions around the planet, found an expert, and interrogated him or her about that, that religion or belief system, and immersed myself in, in that thinking. But I can see myself going back there soon again, certainly if we work on another on a final sequel. The only I convention I ever went to was uh, in Vancouver, I want to say about 10 years ago, and it was the first year that UFC came to Vancouver, and the Star Trek convention was in the lobby of the hotel where all the UFC fighters were staying, so we kept passing each other, and I just kept thinking, if there's a rumble here, this is going to be the shortest, most terribly (laughs) one-sided rumble ever. Unless somebody pulls out a phaser. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> the game changer. These <laughs> are against all the UFC guys. I was <laughs> really hoping... I ordered a copy, actually, to, uh, to get a copy of uh, your existence documentary. And I was, I'm was i fascinated by this. I, I love discussing religion with people. Um, Eric and I both kind of do for different reasons, um, or sometimes <laughs> the same reason. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm utterly fascinated, and... I was up on your website checking out, and you have the uh, 85 toughest questions in existence. And I thought it was kind of humorous going through it because I found pretty much absolutely every question really simple to answer. Because when you eliminate the concept of man-made religion, a lot of this other stuff becomes real simple to answer. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's I found it really fascinating. So to be able to get a hold of the, uh, I, I'm really excited to be able to watch a documentary on that. I'm very excited. I was hoping to have it before uh, before we got the interview, but unfortunately, uh, no. Well, one of the questions that's a good example is, I, I, I asked all these questions usually of everybody, and I would start with, why do we exist? That was the, the my opener, which is mm-hmm. an impossible to answer question, really, and which leads to what is our go down the list what is sin what is the soul what is the afterlife and if you take one of those like what is the soul how do you explain what the soul is well certainly the different religious experts had different ways to explain what happens to you when you die where you go my favorite answer came actually from a particle physicist at oxford who had the shortest answer he said when i said what is the soul he said the soul is a type of wishful thinking that resides in the frontal lobe. <laughs> Fair enough. <That's> fantastic. <laughs> very short, very succinct. Like Did My you find there were a lot more similarities than differences when you compared them all? Like, um... Well, part of the humor, it's a very funny documentary. It's more of a comedy, really, because... It, existentialism is about absurdity you have to embrace the absurdity of existence and there was when i talk to religious experts they tend to regurgitate scripture they they swallow all the scripture and then regurgitate it in turn instead of thinking for themselves thinking critically and a scientist by nature has to think critically and examine and ask why and challenge and so they come at it from a much more philosophical point of view than a religious expert. But when, when I asked them all the same questions and then juxtaposed all their answers side by side, it became naturally humorous to watch one person after another when I would ask a question like, what is, what is uh, the afterlife? They're all cocksure of themselves. They have the answer, and then they'd be diametrically opposed to what the next person says, who's also absolutely <laughs> certain that they has, he has the answer. And the next one one after another, it becomes naturally absurd. It really does. I think the closest we've come so far is, I think Douglas Adams has pretty much the, the closest to reality, I would imagine. If I, if I had to choose a religion, it would be something. <laughs> the number <evil>. 42. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, after going through these questions, the one there's only one question about all that actually got me the most, and ironically enough, it's, it's it's what is truth, and the reason is because, well, truth is nothing but perception and opinion. Really, you can have ten people standing around staring at the blue sky. If nine out of the ten people say that sky is green, well, the sky is green because you know numbers have it in the sense, and that's the way truth, especially nowadays, has really become. So. Using that question for everything else, it became, I don't know, a lot of it just became really humorous for me because, you know, truth is an individual, truly is an individual thing because even if you have all the science, even if you have all the theory, all the, everything worked out, even if you have all the thing right there, it's still not going to convince people that it's true. See, that's the argument I used in my in my novel that facts are really just rumors that everyone kind of agrees on 
Absolutely. You have to, uh, yes, how do you, let's say you have a truth. You're right, perception. Descartes said you can't trust your senses, and so then your perceptions are going to naturally be flawed. So what do we do? We all have to agree on something in order to communicate and interact with each other. We all sort of agree that gravity happens. If you drop a pencil, it's going to fall to the floor. And the way we know that that's true is because you can repeat that experiment, and it happens every time. It's never not happened. We have a lot of data. And then scientists, that's what they do. They collect data to prove what they want to advance as their best theory. And you'll never have a scientist say that they have the truth. They will say, the more data we have, the closer we can get to truth. You can never actually reach truth. In, in, in that sense, because you'll never have infinite data. If someone but, says they have the truth, you should check your, for your wallet, because they're probably a con man. And that was uh, deductive reasoning, is it not? That's the... Uh, you just The scientific because... method... Yeah, right, right. And the scientists... Well, if they have a, a, a hypothesis, and they, they tell you that this is what we believe, evolution, for instance, and here are the reasons... You can go and repeat, repeat their experiments yourself and, and see for yourself if it happens. And, it, and it, if, if it's accurate, it has to repeat. The experiment has to be repeatable. Now, you can't repeat an experiment. There is no experiment for religion. It's, you've got to believe me because I say so, because it's written in a book written by dead guys from 2,000 years ago. There's it, it's no, it's nothing to repeat. You, there's no proof. You just... So... One of my favorite questions is, like, what is faith? And if faith is believing something without evidence, how is that different from foolishness? Or a See, lie, yeah. It, it, in my opinion, it isn't different at all, but I, uh, I, have, I take a lot of issue with just um, taking faith. I... I uh, I I need proof of everything. Um, I'm I'm such a skeptic that um, I don't I don't see anyone religion ever really convincing me. But I wouldn't. I'm exactly open-minded. Say I'm I mean, I'll listen. Either. Make your point. Any religion, I'll listen. I've listened to many. I've I've gone to all the experts and had make they make their best case. But give me some piece of evidence, something I can hold on to that is more than just because you say so. I need something. And something that hasn't been manipulated a bunch of times. Like that's, that's my number one issue with the King James Bible, is that it's just that. It's King James's version of the Bible. It's a translation from the uh, Italian, from the Greek, from the Aramaic, and, and it, every time it changes... And it went to German before Latin, did it not? It, uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's gone through many gyrations. And well, I, just, a, I still, well, Gordon knows my position on it, and everyone does. I think, uh, until they, part, <laughs> pardon my language, I think until they put don't fuck kids in there somewhere, um, <laughs> I've got no use for it. I would love, I think, for the record, I think that should be the title of the, of the new Bible when they write another one. You'd think it would be at least implied. Like of, of the Ten Commandments, I've always been of the mindset that we don't need the Ten Commandments. I think those are ten things that we inherently know you're not supposed to do. I don't think we need the Bible uh, to tell us right from wrong. 
But you would think you can when boil you were it down up with to the big two ten. things, really. You you could really boil those ten down to being honest and being nice to people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think uh, most of them happen in the animal kingdom. I don't think we would have evolved beyond that. You know, they they tend not to animals tend not to steal. They tend not to kill for recreation. I I think we would have done fine without the uh, without the Ten Commandments and. It, or at least put some better commandments in there. Maybe expand it to like 14 and add, you know. Get rid of a couple and add a few more. <laughs> well, there's 613 in the Torah in the in the Old Testament, and then they, they reduced it to 10 because they were having trouble keeping track of 613 or some, <laughs> some huge number. But if you, uh, one of my questions in the documentary is what is morality? And what I learned about that from the... Uh, psychologists is there's something that's called reciprocal altruism which is what animals practice like a herd of deer for instance if they live together in a group in order to live in a group you have to get along and to get along you've got to remember who owes you a favor because you trade favors you do things for each other and if somebody in the group is not pulling their weight then they're ostracized because they're they're not trading favors fairly and what when humans do the same thing, but we the word we give to reciprocal altruism is morality. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, which is the Jesus version. But Jesus was actually he had borrowed that from uh, others like Confucius had said the same thing long before Jesus, except his version was, "Do not do to others what you would not want done to yourself." which is like live and let live. It's less invasive. Do unto others is like, go do unto them the way you'd want them. How do you know what they want? How do you know, how do you know they want what you want? It's better to just leave people alone. Yeah, it's a, it's a very um, presumptuous uh, rule to live by. You have to, you have to presuppose you know what everybody wants or they all want the <laughs> same that you want. And they certainly don't. Nobody does. People don't all want the same thing. No, no, I wouldn't no, think they so. Certainly don't. Um, but even the uh, what was the? There's a old Hebrew version of the Golden Rule, like don't. But well, it's just like don't do what's despicable to others or something like that. Yeah, it's an old. It's a very old concept, and it goes back to reciprocal altruism, which animals and, and insects, other species practice. Any group that has to live, uh, any species that has to live in a group has to practice reciprocal altruism. So did you yeah, find it, I think Did you find that there's there's obviously in Christianity just massive contradictions. Did you find that in other religions as well? Is there is Oh of there, course. Yeah. They're all filled with contradictions. Because it, there, you know it's written over time by men who who disagree with each other and they they revise and rewrite and then old stuff gets left in and New stuff. I mean, it, yeah, it's 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 certainly not a science. It's not a mathematical formula. It, human beings are full of contradictions. We're all walking contradictions. Oh, definitely. And now, are th you throughout the major religions? I got asked throughout the major religions, like Christianity, I believe, has the most um, like sex of them. Like they have the most diversity of different types of Christianity throughout it. Right? Who has the least? Did you, is that something you came across? Is there, like, one particular religion that has, like, I don't know, I guess, like, the least amount of... Because like, a lot of people take what they can from each religion and say, well, I believe this and this, this, but I'm not going to follow this and this, so therefore I created this. 
and you have those individual little things. Um, is there one religion that seems to still like I, I, I'm guessing Judaism is probably the one that you're either a full on um, Jew or you're not. Is that well, they, they've got many forms of Judaism as reformed, orthodox, different types of orthodox, Lubavitcher. There's all many types, and it's because there's not they're not all coalescing. All the religions are not coalescing into fewer and fewer, and eventually they'll all get to an agreement. They're actually continuing to to split into more and more factions, and there's more and more variations because people they don't agree with each other. It's like you said. They take, I'll take this piece and that piece, as though you know, they think they know better than God somehow. Well, God didn't intend me to follow all everything he said here. I know better. You know, who are you to presume that you know whatever the deity you're following, you know better than he or she knows what you should do? So that's illogical or a contradiction right there. And sexually, sex is always a big deal for religions. They're trying to control people's sexual behavior. And partly that's because it's natural for any institution to want to control reproduction, because reproduction is, is, it's a requirement. It's necessary for that group to survive. There have been religions that completely eschewed sex. Sex is terrible. No one should do it. And, of course, those religions died out because there's no more followers <laughs> after two generations. But if you've got a religion that says you can't use a condom like the Catholics... Their, their numbers grow, and the more their numbers grow, the more their base, their financial base grows. And so that's a much better business model. Craziness. <laughs> why, why do you think it is that, um, this, is gonna, this is such a silly question, but it, it's a genuine question. Why do you think it is that like, Africans have bought into that aspect of it so much? Where they just they refuse to use contraception, they refuse to not procreate in the in massive disease, overpopulation, starvation. They just that's one part they seem to have latched onto, and they really want to stick to. You mean like with missionaries going around the world and bringing Christianity and teaching them to have their version of their own neurotic, neurotic behaviors? Yeah, but they seem to really. <laughs> Uh, just be dead against contraception, be dead against um, family planning, well, for lack of a better if term. If they're Catholics, that's the Catholic thing. Catholics, uh, it's one of their main tenets. I mean, uh, the United States, people are very liberalized and don't feel like they have to follow the strict uh, Catholic beliefs. And they're not really Catholics, by definition. They call themselves culturally they're Catholics, for instance, but if they use birth control, they're not doing what the Pope has said they're supposed to do, or if they use condoms. And so it varies by culture, and it depends on, I mean, a lot of uh, variables that are really hard to predict. How whether It's like when the missionaries would go to somewhere, what usually happens is a blending of the existing culture with the new culture that they're bringing, and you get this hybrid you see that in South America with, with their version of Catholicism. You see it in the, the Caribbean, wherever they go. Because the Catholics want to, or any religion, they, they want to spread. And sometimes in order to spread, you've got to maintain what feels comfortable. Like the idea of Christmas is essentially an appropriation of the, the pagan holiday. Um, and there are many holidays that Christians have 
appropriated from the pagans because it helped gain converts at the time. And people forget now that if you actually look in the Bible, there's a passage that specifically forbids you to bring a, a tree that's been cut down into your house. But that's, that's what people do at Christmas time. But it's specifically forbidden in the Bible. But it's because it, and they forbade it because it was a pagan practice to remind people of the renewal of spring. Spring will come again. Life will come again. And so Kill you have these blendings. <laughs> I have never heard of such a thing. I didn't know that was... Uh... Oh, the Bible is so full of, of interesting contradictions. There's a passage in the Bible that specifically says when a human being becomes a human being, like a baby or, or a fetus. Right. Uh, it says that a person. you don't become a person until the, the soul enters the body. Which makes sense. You can't be a, a, a full person without a soul. And then it says that when does the soul enter the body? Well, it enters when that, that fetus or baby takes its first breath. The soul enters with the first breath. So prior to the first breath, it's not a person yet. And therefore, you can't, you're not aborting. Let's say you, you stop a pregnancy. It's not a person that you're eliminating. It's, a, it's prior to the soul entering that's specifically laid out, it's delineated in the Bible. But people aren't, it doesn't matter, right? You go with whatever you feel like, what makes you feel better. And no one really studies very accurately and, the belief system that they hold. And whatever uh, fits your ideals. Um, if you look at like states like uh, what Alabama is doing with uh, abortion laws and you can pretty much twist the Bible to say just about anything you want it to. Sure, if you take the quote you like and ignore the others. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly which is, right. Which is kind of my favorite thing to do, too. I mean, I, I do the same thing uh, here on the show. I, um, Gordon and I have a, a belief that I'm just about right about just about everything, and it's pretty much proven <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> But there's a little bit of manipulation of facts there every once in a while. <laughs> just, just a tiny. <laughs> but for the most part, I've not been proven wrong about a lot. Uh, it's a good track record. It's it's a good track record, but it's very um, it's very safe. It's very insular. I I don't I don't make uh, bets that I can't win, so to speak. <laughs> That's why I'm on this show. <laughs> well, then think very carefully before the next time you get married. No. Yeah, I, I'm That's not bad. sure. I'm not against getting married again. See, my problem was the first time I got married far too young. And we, we just liked the idea of being the first ones to get married. We weren't really into it for... I don't think we understood the commitment, to be honest. Uh the second time was just sheer stupidity. <laughs> That's, I I I like the idea of being married again. I I like the idea of being married. I don't know that I'm good at it. It's not a bad thing by any means. By the end of my documentary uh, in the, in the Truth About Marriage, I came around to being very positive about the idea of relationships, and but knowing know what you're getting into. That's all. Learn about your partner. Learn about each other. Of course. One so of the what, uh, what about the uh, idea of a relationship ending? Is it 
the worst thing in the world or no it's a it's really it's not an ending it's a decoupling is a word they use now and you can decouple in a very positive way when you both um agree that let's say how how long were you together in your second marriage uh grand total of five years all right i would call that a five-year success see that's kind of how i looked at it um (laughs) It's my not family bad. tends I, to disagree. I can't say that at all about my marriage. <laughs> how long? I don't even know, Gord. How long was yours? Uh, we were together for uh, nine, almost nineteen years. Uh, married for seven and a half years. Uh, together for yeah, yeah. So we were together for a long time. Um, ironically enough, we didn't even like each other uh, when we got married. Um, <laughs> we really just saw a commonality commonality which was neither of us wanted kids we both liked drugs and alcohol and that's pretty much about the extent of it um and we like to get high and watch movies that's the basis of the bulk of the of the relationship and once i was kind of sick and tired of getting drunk every weekend um the marriage really started to nosedive at that point um but yeah no there was not a I always was saddened to be able to look back on the relation and say, I can't think of how I can literally, I couldn't even count on one hand how many good times we had that didn't involve inebriation of one sort or another. Well, it was there to teach you something, right? And now you come out of a relationship with uh, lessons learned that you'll take forward and do better next time, right? That's the name of the game. Absolutely. Um that's you find a lot of a lot of marriage is it's just pressure from other people who think you should be married. Oh, that's huge! Yeah, the, our society, our parents, our friends, everybody is wants each other to get married because that's we want to fit in. We're social creatures, and that's the thing. It, it's not the way it used to be in the old days. I mean, by the old days, I mean humans have been around two hundred thousand years, and we've been getting married in the way that we understand it, for about six to 10,000 years. So less than, let's say, 5% of human history have we been getting married. A very small percentage of the time humans have been around, they've been getting married. What were we doing for 95%? And you could probably argue that what we do most of the time is what you'd call normal, right? Not what you do for this little 5% of the time. That's maybe abnormal by definition. The normal thing, what humans did when they were living on the African savanna, living in, they lived in small tribes of 150 or fewer so that they could practice reciprocal altruism and trading favors and living together. And they shared everything, which is shelter, child rearing, food, sex. Everything was communal property. And if someone was stingy or selfish or didn't share what they had, they would be ostracized or they'd, they'd be uh, punished. It was normal to share. And anyone, nobody knew whose baby belonged to whom because everybody was having sex with everybody and that was, norm, that was natural. And, and women didn't have to worry about losing their husband and how, how am I going to protect my child if my husband dies? The whole tribe takes care of everybody and that's, that was natural. Now what happened six to 10,000 years ago is that humans discovered this concept of agriculture and they started to stay in one place plant crops and and the idea occurred of 
propriety. This land, this crop, these animals, this woman belongs to me. It's my property. And once you start thinking about property, the next thought is, well, how do I make sure that my property is passed on to my genetic offspring? And the way to do that, they had to come up with a way to do that because the man is out working in the fields or he's out hunting. He's not there 24-7 practicing what they call mate guarding, keeping an eye on his woman. So the way to keep an eye on her is to create this social construct called marriage, which creates a social fence around women sexually. It's to control. Marriage was created or the idea occurred for marriage to control the sexual behavior of women. Not men as much, because if you look in the Old Testament or in religious texts, adultery is a sin that women are punished for much more so than men, because they're the ones who get pregnant. A man can't get pregnant, obviously. A woman knows it's her baby. A man can't be sure unless he's been practicing mate guarding or put this social fence around his woman, which helps him to feel better, more secure about, well, this is actually my child. And that's where the change started. And from that point forward, what became more more common was polygamy, because then some men got to be more rich than others, who would have more land and more, like, the, you'd have serfs and lords and then kings and sultans and um, uh, and, and the kings and sultans and pharaohs would have thousands, maybe 5,000 or more wives and concubines. And when you have one person, one man with 5,000 women, you'd have 5,000 young men with no, not getting any pussy, and they are going to be really frustrated, and that's bad for society. So then they started thinking, okay, this isn't working. We're having too many wars and fights. Monogamy has to be, be the rule. One man, one woman... So now we practice social, socially, social monogamy or serial monogamy, which is essentially polygamy, except you've got to get rid of the old one if you take on a new one. And that's where we are now in this serial monogamy culture. So polygamy oh, is actually more to the natural order. We'd be better off if we were polygamists. Well, that's what we used to be. That's what's more natural. Hang on, my light is on a timer. There that, we go. That always uh, seemed poly- more natural to me. Polygamy is where we where we was a transitional phase for humans for for thousands of years. It's what what became natural once we became farmers or became stopped being hunter-gatherers and nomads where everybody shared everything and sex wasn't a proprietary thing. But once it became proprietary, things became proprietary. The natural outcome was polygamy followed by serial monogamy. Right. Well, we've still got... It's still not... We're still fighting in Canada as to whether or not uh, it's constitutional. Um, We've got a a massive... I don't don't know if you know about Bountiful. It's a very large polygamous community here in BC. And they're, they're challenging... They're challenging their right. And uh, if it goes through, it'll be, you know... Uh, a precedent setting for Canada it would be it would be basically if they win then polygamy is allowed I think it would be really fascinating because polygamy when you think about it as it stands in modern society we think polygamy basically as one man and a harem of women I'm looking for when a rule becomes reversed when you have the one woman with like you know a few dozen guys and finally doesn't get called a whore for it, um, 
I'm there, ha- there have been societies where that has occurred. And uh, usually that happens when there's a scarcity of resources. When there is an abundance of resources, it's usually one man with many wives because you, you can have all these babies and there's enough food and resources to take care of them. But some cultures like the Eskimo culture have often had situations where resources were scarce, so there'd be several men and one wife. And usually, though, in that situation, all those men are related to each other. They're brothers or something. So there's a genetic uh, interest. They all have the same genetic interest in the baby, even if their brother was the father. Well, that is fascinating. I have no idea. For the most part, because I I certainly don't feel the need to... uh spread my seed that much i I have one child i'm very happy with just the one child is it still commonplace for men to want to have as many children as possible and and have seven <laughs> wives so they can have a hundred children is that still a something that goes well through? I, I don't know the young mind a, very well it's a powerful urge to want to my as my friend calls it in the documentary he calls it nsb nasty sperm buildup it has to be expressed <laughs> from the body or you go insane and that leads to children normally but we you know we've devised some barriers to protect or to slow down the fertilization of an egg but that that natural urge is so strong that you know, I mean, if our our great grandparents were really horny, or we wouldn't be here. It's it's innate. It's within us in order to, for, to perpetuate the species. But you know, I do some thinning personally. But you know, <laughs> yeah, well, me. it's uh, <laughs> and I've definitely found ways to solve the problem without having to spread my seed. I don't know. I've I've uh, <laughs> I've been pretty good at that for the last few years, to be honest. Well, keep up the good work, because it's not like there's a shortage of people on this planet. That's no, true. That's for sure. Gord wants to get rid of two thirds of them. He's he's hoping <laughs> and praying for a meteorite or asteroid to collide with the Earth. He's always disappointed when one goes by us. <laughs> Every time you hear about the near miss, I'm like, oh, so close. And when's the next one we're waiting for? I think it's 2026. Was that? Uh, 2024, isn't it? Is it 20? I can't remember. But, I, I get I get my hopes up with each one. I get so let down. But that's one of the ones <laughs> that they said was either 30 meters or 400 meters or something. I, in diameter. Have you noticed NASA math? Roger, well, that's uh, when, the they, when they're talking about these asteroids that are coming at Earth, they go, well, it's either 30 meters in diameter or 400 meters in diameter. We, that is horrible math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, e- either size would not be good for who's ever underneath it. And well, it's kind of just a matter of time, right? It's it's not if, but it's it will happen. It's happened in the past. There's an infinite number of meteors and chunks of rock out there, out uh, beyond, what is it between? Uh, is it between Mars after uh, and Jupiter that there's a the asteroid belt that should have been a planet but never coalesced into a planet, and it's got all these chunks of rock, and one just gets a little slightly perturbed, and then goes across our our path, and bam, it's a, an extinction event. Yeah. And look at the smile on your face. You're so happy when you hear extinction event. <laughs> I'm just, oh, I just, I have to, like, I never thought, I, I, before we started this podcast, I swear I was the 
happiest go luckiest in the sense I, I always, you know, I just, I love people and just doing stuff. And since really opening my eyes to society and really what it comes down to is really just paying more attention to government than anything else. I don't think I've ever wanted the plant to stop more quickly. Nowadays. I just think we've taken such a left-hand turn in life that, uh, I think a reset button is almost necessary. I mean, I, as Eric always says, prove me wrong, but I don't know. I see. I think we're going to be okay. I think. And <laughs> now you've done the Trekkie documentary, which gives you kind of a glimpse into a sort of a idyllic future. You've now you've done the religion. You've done marriage. How do you think we are as a society? Like worldwide. Are we getting better? Are we going to be okay? Are we? Yeah, that's a great question because it's you have to determine how, what is your yardstick for getting better. In one sense, we're learning more and more about the universe, which is fascinating. Where we've got, if you're a fan of the Black Keys or something, it's like okay, we've got great new music that we wouldn't have had if 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 they weren't born. Sure. But there's so many people that we're overrunning our environment and so our environment is is going to change and is changing and the problem is we like our environment the way it is because we this is what we evolved to like the world isn't made of pillows and sharp or, uh, pillows and soft edges it's a really rough dangerous place for Absolutely. for our now, species my argument has been though that we figured out aids We've figured out nanotechnology. We've, we've figured out amazing things in science just in the last 20 years of the, of the 21st century. I think we'll figure out warm. I think we're going to be okay. Like it's, it's well, not going to be. Some people it, will be, probably. Either side of the. It's not as catastrophic as I think everyone wants it to be. I think Al Gore scared everybody. We never. We never recovered from it. I don't see it. I don't see us not coming up with a plan for this. Well, you're in a good spot there, living so far north, where it's probably going to uh, be less harmful than it will be for somebody living in a dry area, a place that becomes a desert that used to be uh, used to have rain. But oh yeah, and I'm on the west coast too, so I got nothing but rain. I'm I'm fine. Yeah. You're in a good spot. Gord's going to like this. Here's my pessimistic view. The, here's the problem. Because we become an interconnected world now, and this, the Internet has connected everybody and every business and all of our infrastructure and our power grids, everything's connected. All it would take is an electromagnetic pulse to shut down the electric grid, which would then cause a domino effect... And, and you know what an electric... I see you nodding. You know what an EMP oh, yeah, does. absolutely. <laughs> and so <laughs> let's say somebody detonated a warhead uh, in the stratosphere and a line of sight. Everything burns out. All your cars stop. All your electricity stops. Without, without electricity, 90% of the people in that area will starve within seven or eight months, certainly within a year. And here's the even worse part. Within that area, and if it's worldwide... There is somewhere approaching 400, 300 and some nuclear power plants that will, their batteries 
is what run or most of them will be because they're storing all their spent nuclear fuel rods on the premises in a in a water bath and that water has to continue circulating if it doesn't because they run out of power and battery like Fukushima did the reason Fukushima melted down is because their batteries wore down if you have that happening 300 times around the world that's an extinction event so that's something for you to look forward to Gord oh when I don't know if I doubt you had a chance to hear with this one, but uh, here in southern Ontario, we actually had a warning that came across our cell phones uh, that a nuclear power plant, uh, like <laughs> a few towns, <laughs> or a couple of towns over from me in a town called Peterborough, um, a warning had went out saying that that something had gone wrong at the at the nuclear plant, and um, basically uh, cover your ass and. <laughs> Two hours later, another one went out and said, sorry, it's fine. That wasn't supposed to go out. Um, when that text came out, I was literally, I was sleeping and it woke me up and I looked over the match. I'm like, huh, I just put my phone back down, went back to sleep. It was one of the best two-hour snoozes I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but it did That's prove, in those two hours, there was absolutely no government response whatsoever. So Nothing <laughs> happened at all. Not a... Literally <laughs> prove that if there were a failure at that plant, we're screwed. Like, the, the Canadian <laughs> government doesn't have a plan, and even if they did, they wouldn't do anything about it anyway. Yeah, well, if, you, if you've seen the, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, it's a, it shows you what can happen and what will happen if there's a meltdown. If there's a meltdown, it's just game over for that area. I mean, they almost made all of Western Europe or Eastern Europe, uninhabitable. They came within inches, within hours, of a super meltdown. But was Chernobyl... And... Chernobyl was built from garbage. Like, Chernobyl was garbage when it opened, pretty much, is my understanding. They cut a lot of corners, yes, yes. And it sounds like your local plant may be cutting some corners, too. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't surprise me. I, I think it's just personnel. I think we're we're cutting way too many corners on the people we're employing to look after these things. That was part of the problem in Chernobyl. Yeah, the personnel, they were trying to cover up their mistakes, and every time they covered up a mistake, they made it worse. Oh, that's... I, I think our biggest mistake, and er, everyone who knows me knows this, I think the biggest mistake is just our politicians. I, I'm very against politicians because it's not an occupation. It's If you, if you look... At, uh, if you go to like the unemployment office and, and try to type in politician, it's not there. <laughs> and it, it's, it was never intended to be an occupation. And I, I like the experiment you guys did with uh, Trump. I think it's backfired horribly. Uh, Clearly, not, yeah. Not that we've done I, I, much better up here, but... I think here's what will make you both happy, is a virus that spreads around the world rapidly and that only kills politicians. Oh my God, it's a, such a fantasy. Well, uh, I think coronavirus <laughs> is going to kill a few careers. <laughs> now, Eric, just have, I got to let you know, um, that asteroid you're talking about, it's actually in 2027. Now, here's the best thing about this, and this is how I know life just might just get better for me. Uh, this asteroid is actually a fix. Uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory was doing test runs on it and checking the trajectory, and they were hoping that they were going to be able to knocked down because it was at a level of around like a 60 something percent chance that it was going to hit earth 
after running their test, it's now a 96% chance it's going to hit. And it's going to hit the day after my birthday. (laughs) Well, happy birthday, Gord. And and guess where it's going to hit? It's going to hit right in the center of China and Beijing, (laughs) North and South Korea, Japan, that whole area is going to, yep. That Uh, did you get a a diameter on that one yet? Ironically enough, it's the only thing I I know the size of the telescope, but I do not know the size of the actual asteroid. Uh, They haven't nowhere on here does it actually say that. So I was looking for them again. Oh, here we go. The new size estimated between 200 and 280 meters. So that's actually close. We just invested $114 million in Chinese oil. I really don't want them wiped off the planet in four years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with that. That's our pension money, Gord. That's our pension money's over there. Oh, come on. Like, we're going to see that anyways. Like, I mean, come on. Canada's known for screwing us over for that. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It's what we're good at. (laughs) Where are you guys located? You said you're in Ontario? I'm southern Ontario. I'm about uh, less than an hour's drive uh, west of downtown Toronto. And Eric is all the way out the coast in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. I Mm. am indeed. And uh, I visit Ontario once a year. I go fishing uh, north of Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota originally, so I go up into Ontario, do a little walleye fishing. Do you have like a favorite lake or area lake that you... the woods? Yeah, and and also I've done flying lakes. Also, uh, you know, too. But sometimes they don't even have a name because there's so many lakes. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. I've um, I've, I've buddy and I were actually planning on doing that. We're going to do the fly in to a cabin. Uh, it's nestled on, I think, five lakes, all within like a hour's walk from every sort of direction. A whole bunch of lakes and. Uh, there's a musky sanctuary up around that area too, so we were going to go up and do that, but uh, he died. Oh, so you're talking my my language. I love it. It's so beautiful uh, up yeah. there. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, I've always one thing I enjoy. I lived in BC for five years, and one thing I always enjoyed about telling people in BC is you guys have a really beautiful province. It's really nice, but you have no idea where true beauty is till you see Northern Ontario in the fall. <laughs> yeah, and a 48 inch musky. Exactly. Tugging on that line like it's the last thing you're ever going to eat. Oh, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> I should probably spend some time there one of these days. But exactly. before the yeah, before the asteroid hits. Exactly. Yeah. So what? Before the asteroid hits, what's the uh, what's the plan for the next movie? Do we have one? Oh yeah, it's always such a hard question because after making the truth about marriage, it's like after giving birth, the last thing I want to do is think about getting pregnant again. <laughs> I guess so, but but yet, <laughs> but yet, uh, if it's not Trekkies three, uh, I might. And if if uh, enough people go out and see or rent or view the truth about marriage, maybe I'll do the truth about gay marriage next. Oh, that, wouldn't I, that be I, great? Yeah, I barely scratched the surface on I, in the truth about marriage, and it certainly is a rich enough. Uh, arena that uh, uh, stories and interesting stories that it could be uh, its own documentary. Well, let's. Where can people see the truth about marriage? Let's. Uh, we should have plugged that right off the yeah. top, and I didn't because oh, I'm a well, terrible host. You can just go to my website, thetruthaboutmarriage.com, and uh, that'll lead you to where you need to go: Amazon or iTunes or. And I wrote a book, a companion book, also that's by the same name, The Truth About Marriage. I did now, actually start reading book, it. 
is that the thing? Like, should you actually like have the book while you're watching the movie and go through it together? Is that the sort, or is it like a workbook for after? Here's what happened. I was at a screening at a film festival at the premiere in Orlando, Florida, and I noticed in the audience where there was a woman who was had a notepad and she was scribbling furiously as she's watching the movie. And so during the Q and A, I asked her. I said, "What? Why? What's going on? What's with all the writing?" And she said, "Oh, I was taking notes because my girlfriend she couldn't be here for the screening and she needs to get a boyfriend." And so she had, <laughs> had to get all the information down. I said, "Well, look, I'm going to do you a favor. I'll do it for you." And so the book was uh, co- I, uh, I coalesced all the advice and the uh, what, because what I set out to do. Here's what I here was my goal. I, I wanted to find out why is it so hard, why are relationships so hard for people? Once I discovered that, and the first half of the documentary sort of lays that out, and s- similarly in the book, the second half of the, bo- of the book and the second half of the documentary is I want uh, solutions. I wanted to find what are some very simple things anyone can do, like relationship hacks, to make things go better, because it shouldn't. No one teaches you these things, and. I realized all of these psychologists were had the same advice for the most part. And so I condensed it down into easy to understand. Here's what you need to do. And because here's one of the problems, one of the big problems that we face. Men and women, or I usually like to talk in terms of masculine and feminine because we all have a percentage of both within us, but obviously men have more masculine and women have more feminine. The you assume that your partner needs the same thing you need, and so that's what you give your partner. You give them what you're desiring, but they don't. They need something different. The masculine and the feminine need different things from each other. We're different. You're, uh, it's opposites attract for a reason. We're meant to complete each other. I gotta start other, writing this not, down. One sec here. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Get the book. <laughs> it's all in the book. We're meant to complete each other, not duplicate each other. And if if I can teach you guys one thing for your next relationship. And, and, and it's kind of a manipulation, but it works, and it costs very little, and you can experiment with with your next girlfriend or your current uh, girlfriend. Try this as an experiment. 15 to 20 minutes a night, go home and just ask her, Put take your cell phone and put it on airplane mode and say, honey, how was your day? How are you feeling about your day? And then shut up. Don't ask, don't talk, don't offer solutions, don't give her any suggestions, don't, don't solve any problems, don't, just listen, because it's counterintuitive that men typically want to solve problems and offer solutions, and we assume when she comes home and she starts talking about, oh, my boss was terrible, or whatever she's, whatever, whatever emotions she's processing from the day, we immediately start coming up with solutions. Well, maybe you should quit, or maybe you should tell him off. And then she starts to think, well, you're, you're accusing me of, of, of not doing what I should have done, and now I feel worse. And you're making it worse. It's like somebody asking for a consultation, but not wanting to hear your opinion. So, you're pretty good at this one, aren't you, Gord? You can you do this oh pretty my well God. in your current relationship. I, I, um... I, I can't do it because I just don't care. You have to. You've got to. You've got to force yourself. Uh, but only you don't have. Only if you want to be happier. That's all. Yeah. See, sure. it's funny because I actually just. I'm in the process of, of of literally dealing, not dealing with this, learning about this, and and trying to apply it. Because, well, a I have a very hard time ever shutting my mouth ever for anything. 
Um, especially when somebody speaks to me, I always tend to over talk. Uh, this is why Eric and I work so well because we're both strong talkers. So I'm able to a lot, let him to sort of take over the conversation. But with my girlfriend, same thing when she comes at me and she says something about, you know, whether it's something that I've done wrong or something that's her life, my immediate reaction is always, I'll apologize for what I've done, or I will furiously state my case of why it is I think she's wrong. And then argument ensues, and I'm always so baffled by why it became such a huge argument. And literally what she said is exactly what you said, which is just let me get it off my chest and shut up. Yes. And I'm really struggling with that. <laughs> if you want to ask her a question, a good question to ask is if it's something about what you've done is just say, um, I can understand why you feel that way. Tell me what can I do to help you feel better? And then again, shut up. And See, it's the so, shut up part that's so difficult, though. You've got to practice oh. it. It's, it's, it's not natural. But if you do that, she will be so much happier. She'll feel much more satisfied. There will be more sex and better sex as a result for this little investment of time. Oh, uh, See, I, I can't on board with that. that. I'll to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... I cannot, I mean, like, literally, it's so funny, because, like, everything you said, she's, again, we both come from a broken marriage, Uh, her marriage ended as well before, uh, which is kind of why we're together, because, well, both marriages ended, Um, but that was a huge thing, is we've known each other for years, and we always had this amazing communication, she would speak, I would shut up, I would just listen, but for me, all that dynamic change when we got into a relationship, not because we're in a relationship, but because instead of her being mad about somebody else, now all of a sudden she's mad about something I've done. And now I become defensive because it's, you know, it's just a natural sort of reaction to be defensive when somebody says you've done wrong when you don't think you have. That's the masculine reaction is to litigate, to to play back the tape. It it shows that you said and what I said, (laughs) and that won't get you toward back towards happiness. Well, the it's only really thing that will get you to happiness is to just listen and empathize, and then she can move on, and then you can both move on and, and, and again, get back to happiness. Oh did you gosh, go into this is. documentary thinking you knew something, or, or did you take a lot away from it in, in terms of your own relationship? Oh, I learned so much. I'm so much better prepared now for and i was making all these mistakes and sabotaging my relationships because no one told me this no one ever taught me this how to just shut up she doesn't want you to advise her she just needs to offload for 15 to 20 minutes and then she'll feel better it's it's like a vitamin she needs this vitamin from you and if you don't give it to her she's going to get frustrated over time and start to shut down you're both going to be frustrated and eventually the the relationship will deteriorate. And if you want to stay together, this little exercise, and there's several other in the book and in the documentary, but that's one of the best exercises, the simple things, if you can do it, that will change the trajectory of your relationship dramatically. I think well, I'm miles away from even attempting that, because I'm still at the part where I go into a relationship thinking I'm the most important part of it. and That's probably a bad way to look into it i i also go into a relationship thinking i'm just better and really as long as i don't break up with me i'm i'm good <laughs> and, i laugh because it's so true 
Gordon's seen the length of my average relationship. He knows. He knows how well that's working out for me. You, you, you know, if you have to. You've got, you've got to have a goal. And what is your goal? If your goal is to have a longer, better relationship, there are ways to hack that that don't cost you anything, cost very little, and can get you there better. But if you're happy without it, then you, you don't really need to. To, to, to change anything but I found I needed to change things because I wanted a different interaction a different type of connection that was more satisfying yeah and that's and, and, and you found that through the after you made this movie have you found it's, it's worked out well for you oh I my my interaction with my own masculine and feminine needs, you know, and as a percentage, uh, I, I now I understand them better. And when with the women that, uh, like when I'm dating, I also much uh, interact much better than I used to. And I had no clue before why things were uh, would naturally go in a direction that was was difficult or uh, or um, or here's one. This is what naturally happens like i've been in a relationship and tell me if this happened to you after there's a six month to two month to a six, there's a six month kind of period then a two-year period and then a five-year period and over time the amount of sex drops off now i asked people in the documentary what is the normal number of times to have sex per week and they all said well once or twice but okay but how about when you were first dating oh once or twice a day instead of once or twice a week and so there's a natural drop-off. And why is that? Well, there's a reason I've discovered from the experts, and you don't have to settle for that. And the reason, they said, is because the more you're with somebody, the more you become alike, the more you, they call it habituation, where you take someone for granted, and you no longer express gratitude. And one of the things you need to do is say thank you, verbalize it daily, it's expressing gratitude. If you stop doing that, things get worse. Say and thank the you. passion goes down. Say, say thank you for the relationship? Anything. Thank you for picking up groceries today, honey. Thank you for the back rub. Thank you for calling me this afternoon. It was really nice to hear from you. It doesn't anything. It, 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 it like greases the wheel. It's like if you don't change the oil in the car, it's going to fall apart. You know, it's like it's relubricating the relationship. And, and we all know lubrication in a relationship is very important. It, it, physically <laughs> and, and metaphorically. And, right. and the right more you habituate, the more you become similar to each other, the less passionate you begin to feel toward each other. And the way to reconnect passionately is to find a way to go back to your, uh, to reestablish your polarity, your masculine and feminine polarity. And behave from a, if you're the masculine one in the relationship, which I am, and I, I have a sense that you guys are, then you have to go back to your masculine pole, and she learns to go back to her feminine. At, at, at the office, for instance, everybody is masculine. Everyone has a masculine energy, and women have to put on a masculine energy when they go into the office. And so what they, they have to learn is to switch that off when they come home and become more feminine. I am learning and, so much here, Gordon. There is some here's like here's a very specific tip. For instance, you should never ask a woman what she thinks. You should only ask her what she's feeling. And vice versa, a, a woman or the the feminine should ask the masculine 
what he's thinking. Never ask a man what he's feeling because that's mothering. And no. men hate mothering. That actually so, makes a lot of sense to me. It's just a slight change in the wording of how you and how you interact with each other. But that slight change has a dramatic effect on the relationship and your your sexual interaction, your passion, and your happiness as a result. They're little it also changes. Gives you very directly different answers too. I know if I say to my girlfriend, "What are you thinking right now?" It usually ends up being followed with, "You have no idea, and you just don't want to know." <laughs> how are you feeling? Completely different answer. <laughs> she'll tell me about her day. She'll tell me about this. And yeah, uh, yeah women are funny creatures with that one. <laughs> okay, so yeah. let me see if I got this right. Men and women are different. And Bring we Lou. don't want to be the same. <laughs> lubricate. Yeah, always lubricate. <laughs> always lubricate. Embrace your opposite pole, your opposite polarity. See, that one I've always been a big fan of. Um but I've always that that's a very I'm a big uh, um, I'm very fond of Nietzsche and Nietzsche's outlook on things. And uh, he, he was the first one who just said we need those differences to stay attracted to each other. Uh, e- equality doesn't work. Now, he was coming from a more uh, misogynist point of view than I like. But but I agree with the idea the that we need to be different because <laughs> uh, it just that's what keeps us attracted to each other. Although I would be massively attracted to someone who was exactly like me, but that's maybe <laughs> at first. But I think you're, the boredom would set in much more rapidly if you if you're not if you're with somebody who doesn't challenge you in any way or bring forth new ideas, new concepts, new music, new new food, new thoughts. If that's why Eric has me. <laughs> that's true. We would actually be a phenomenal couple. We would, there's, there's a few, we would be an amazing couple. <laughs> a few physiological things that would get in the way, and there's the whole geography thing, because I'm not moving to Ontario, but but a lot of science. Eric and I have actually that. openly discussed this a few times on this show, but if we were gay, we would be the happiest, gayest couple in the world. We'd, we would rock the relationship. But Just one little problem, yeah. Just one problem, we just, yeah. I think in in almost all aspects of life, my life would be a lot easier if I could be gay. There's there's a lot of yeah, times I'm just completely disappointed that I'm not. <laughs> well, whatever you are, that's another lesson that the experts uh, had for me is that the secret to happiness is acceptance of yourself for who and what you are and your partner for who and what they are because... of relationship problems are never solved because people don't change. So the solution is to acknowledge it and accept it and move on. Yeah, absolutely. I've accepted it a very long time ago, hence the God complex I usually end up having. So what am I going to (laughs) say? And and as I've always said, I don't have a God complex. He has an Eric complex. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, I I could pretty much do this all night because I find everything you're saying absolutely (laughs) fascinating. But I'm sure you guys have better things to do, and I know Gord's getting tired. Yeah, Gord has to be up in five five hours. So yeah. So well, you guys are fun. You guys are blast to talk to. Maybe after you, uh, if if you want, we could check in in six months and uh, see if you did any experiments with these relationship tips, and let's see if it had any effect. 
Oh, that, absolutely. That's an literally, excellent idea because you said is something I need. I am literally directly working on every single point you made are things that we are doing and applying to our relationship. So I'd love to get back together and, and talk about this again and see how much I've screwed it up. And I'm just sort an of embarking on kind of a new relationship. So we'll, maybe I can oh, actually perfect. try something different this time. Yeah. I gave my nephew that advice about stop asking women what they're thinking and, and talking about politics. Just ask her how, what she's feeling and then shut up. And it just changed everything. <laughs> it's, so, it's the easiest thing in the world, but yet we struggle with it so much as men. It's the yeah. second easiest thing in the world. Second easiest thing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, love to hear what happens with your uh, experiments. Absolutely. We'd so love to have you back. For uh, sometime in August, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'll let you know what uh, kind of muskie I picked up uh, this summer when I go fishing. We'll Absolutely. Back. Yeah, send some pictures. That'd be great. <laughs> you guys should go together. Anytime. Love to go fishing with any chance I get. Oh, awesome. Definitely. I'm definitely up for that. I know of a couple of great little places to hit, so we could have, we have some real fun with that. All right. Uh, so, well, let's listen. We're friends now, so stay in touch. Absolutely. absolutely. So once again, just for everybody listening, it's the the truthaboutmarriage.com. That's right. Yeah, and check it out. Check out the documentary and the book, but only if you want to be happier. If you're fine being miserable, don't worry about it. <laughs> If you like an unhappy wife, ignore this. Yes. <laughs> See, again, I got to think about it. <laughs> have you ever seen him this changed? <laughs> have, have I? I'm sorry? Uh, I was asking Gord. Have you, have you ever seen him? He's a changed man. He's changing before our eyes. Well, well Gord always wants be, to get better. Yeah. He might be I, writing this stuff down, but I don't know how much he'll actually apply. <laughs> That's why we'll check back. I want to hear the results. I'm looking forward to it. I'm interested to know, too. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can get better. I don't know how you uh, how you improve on perfection. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love you, my friend. That's so good. <laughs> that I accept me very, very well. Um, if my better half could just accept that I'm right... <clears throat> Uh, relationships would go a lot more smoothly. Maybe she will if you shut up and just listen to her. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, as you know, Gord, I'm, we still have the problem of calling each other. So, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm uh, just, just before we go, uh, on just to let Roger know what's going on. I'm in a long distance relationship. Um, she feels that. I should call all the time. I should be making the calls. I should be setting up the Skype dates. I should be doing... And she won't call me if I don't. I, on the other hand, don't like to play that game. And I just sit here and go, okay, the phone works both ways. <laughs> so we've been for about a year now just at this stalemate where we, we don't communicate well at all. <laughs> it's, I was going to say... It's toxic. It's it's not healthy. It, it's not helping anything. And I could really just solve the problem by picking up the phone and calling every night. But I still don't. Well, you need uh, motivation. I'm starting to think I could be the problem. <laughs> Eric is officially going to walk past the mirror, and instead of falling in love, he might start questioning things. 
<laughs> well, we'll see. I've got a lot to think about now, and I haven't even watched the movie yet. So, I... <laughs> let's uh, let's make a plan to do that, Gord, and uh, absolutely get together and and uh, see how it goes. I'm ordering. This has been a lot of literally... fun. I'm sorry I wasn't uh, more prepared, and and I I just I'm completely fascinated. I could do this every night with you guys. Well, um, I look forward to chatting again with you guys in August with a follow-up. Let's do it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I'm getting my copy of the book and the movie. I will be getting both of those, and uh, my girlfriend is going to literally shit her pants when she when she hears everything you said. This is going to be great. I want to well, hear, yeah, I want to hear from her. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I am able to officiate your wedding now, officially. You officially can, that's right. All the documentation came in today, so... I am officially Reverend Eric Hunt. <laughs> well, I, we, we sh- I didn't realize we should have paid you that extra respect. My apologies. I got myself ordained last week. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank Online. you. It's, uh, <laughs> it, what did that what cost you, $5? Uh, $8.99. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 but it it's twenty nine ninety nine for my full minister kit where I get uh I get the shirt with the white collar, the the whole bit. And a parking yeah. pass. I think you can stop paying taxes now. They, it comes with a guide on your uh uh <laughs> taxes filing and, and and which you I haven't looked at it yet, but uh I'm gonna be yeah, ordering here. There's definitely some loopholes there. <laughs> I want to get the full kit. I just want to see him in the, with the collar. <laughs> I, it's coming in the mail. I ordered it today. I've got the shirt with the collar coming. I've got uh, parking passes. I've got a bunch of wedding certificates. They sent me a, a whole package. for. I can do uh, baptisms now. Baptisms, weddings, and you're ready for Halloween. Absolutely. <laughs> and I take it about as seriously as I do Halloween. So. <laughs> this was a plan to get Have you ever heard of Coach Dave? No, uh, he's oh, a YouTube. Uh, well, he's he's actually quite a influential guy on YouTube. He he's a very hard. Writing it down, Coach Dave. Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, and he runs the the what are they called the Salt and Light Brigade. And he's oh, he's he guy. wants to sue the NFL uh, for eight hundred trillion dollars because of the halftime show this year. And being inappropriate, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. He actually makes a lot of good points. He's uh, very much a, a Christian who doesn't like the way the uh, Christian church has been going. And he does these little five-minute rants on YouTube. But I, I joined up with him, and he inspired me to, to go get ordained so I could spread the good word for him here in Canada. See, you, it just takes the right thing to motivate you, and you found it for, for this. Now if we can just find what the motivation is to call your girlfriend, then you'll have both bases covered. That's a good <laughs> idea. I don't know, though. Good it's not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> but at any oh. rate, I'll be able to uh, marry Gord and, uh, and his when they're ready. And yourself, should the time uh, come up. It it could. Oh my God, you can be yourself. Ooh. That's 
Like literally, you could marry yourself. I you could don't stand see... in front of a mirror and say your "I do" to yourself. <laughs> Wait, which uh, which pronoun do I use for that? Uh, his and his. If I'm, I, Sir? I don't. I wonder what the argument for that is. There's yeah, a lot of you on now. If the Japanese can marry a anime uh, cartoon character, I don't see why you can't marry yourself. At least you're real. I'm going to go look into this because that could actually be brilliant. I could marry myself. I can officiate over the ceremony. Right. You can take the tax break. You get a lot of benefits. I could. Well, <laughs> we just incorporated. Eric and Gord Productions is officially incorporated under the champion tree. So that's very cool, too. That's more tax breaks for you, Gord. Yeah. And uh, you guys are working all the angles. I'm always oh, working angles. That's, it's, that's it's my incredible. whole thing. I'm the angle guy. And I'm if you keep up the good work, Gord, you could be the best man at this whole shindig. Oh, I'm looking, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to let you go because I can drag this on one. forever. <laughs> Roger, thank you if so we, much for joining us. It's been a, just an absolute blast to talk to you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. I had a lot of fun. Learned a lot. This has been utterly fascinating. So thank you very much. We cannot wait to have you back on again. This is going to be okay, awesome. Okay, we'll do it. Thank you. Perfect. And uh, all the best for for in the future for the movie. Are, are you doing Curb Your Enthusiasm still as well? Season 10 is currently airing. Yes, I worked on uh, season 10 of Curb. And uh, with any luck, there will be a season 11. Oh, there you go. Well, uh I, I wish you nothing but continued success. It's uh, been a, just you. an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thanks very much for doing this. Likewise. Well, we're, we're friends now, so stay in touch. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Without a doubt. Gord, that, that loosely goes for you, too. But... <laughs> All right. Yeah, cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. Um, Gord, okay. you want to stick around for a minute? Well, yeah, I'll talk to you for a couple minutes after. I just got, I have three things I want to talk to you about before I go. Okay. Roger, no we'll say goodnight for now. Thanks a lot, sir. Okay. Ciao. Thank you. See you later. Roger, appreciate it. Uh, Bye-bye. Now, how do Bye. I do this without hanging up on Gordon? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do that first. And just that. I think that's all I need to do. Uh, yeah, that Roger. was really cool. I know I wasn't, like, super funny, but I was. No, it was just too I interesting. I think that was a perfect thing it was great interview we got the important stuff out initially and then we had a great open conversation that was awesome that went so much better than i 